How are you all today? Good, good. A few of you are good. Some of you not so sure yet. Well, we're glad you're here. If you are in Kidmo, I'm going to let you head on back to Kidmo. If you're a Kidmo leader, please go with them. Uh, we hope that you'll go with them. Let me just, as we get started here, a couple more things I want to share with you. Uh, next week, we're going to be having an impact meeting here at the Impact. If you're not familiar with, with what that is, is our opportunity to be the church outside of these walls. We've had a great opportunity in the last few months to do, undertake some great projects. You've completed some great projects. And we're into a new year. We've got some great things coming up for the new year. So that will be, is, is that immediately after next week? Okay, so we, so we hope that you'll be here for that. Um, also we want to let you know about an opportunity in our small groups that are coming up. Uh, not only, I think, uh, David mentioned about journey to recovery. Uh, not only are, uh, do you have an opportunity to be a part of that group? We have some other small groups here at journey and we are looking to create a short term group, uh, right around the middle of March. And the primary goal of this group would be that if you are interested at all, if you read scripture and you think, you know, I, I just don't get it, I'm not interested, or I just, it's just like, you know, I see the words on the page, but I don't really know what to do with it. It is a short six-week group that's going to be nestled around Easter, and it's a great opportunity. It'll be on Wednesday nights, and I think it's going to be here. Is that right, Stacy? Uh, it's a great opportunity for you to be involved with that. See, if, see what a group is like, but not just, not just the group dynamic, which is great but also have a great opportunity just to experience within your own life what it looks like for Scripture to come alive. So if you're interested, you can see Stacy, or we'll have some sign-up sheets in the next few weeks. I think around March 11th would be about the time that would get started. Uh, and that would be here, especially if you have kids. You've got kids that are in this in, here on Wednesday nights. It's a great place for you to get involved as well. One of the exciting things is on Wednesday nights now, there are no dance classes. And I was so tired of teaching those dance classes. I'm so glad I'm done. But we have exclusive use of the building on Wednesday nights now, which uh, we, is going to give us an opportunity to grow some things we're doing on Wednesday nights. We're very excited about that and some things that are coming up as well. Last week, I did a little painting up here. And I demonstrated that sometimes I can talk about how good I am at something and I'm really not. However, I, I have had a few offers on this. If the offers go high enough, I might just sell it to you. Last week, we talked about what does it look like when we understand that our life is a canvas and what is yet to be painted can be a masterpiece. But what we had to start with was the reality that you have to have some kind of canvas on which to paint. Now, some of you totally get this analogy. You're artists. You love this analogy, and it's great. For some of you, you're like, you know, I don't care about art even when it's in front of me. I, I just, I'm not interested. If it's not a football game, if it's not me doing something, I just could care less. But what I hope that you'll do over these next few weeks is indulge me on this journey to understand that your life, all that it was, all that it is, and all that it will be, is a painting in progress. Now, what it's going to look like at the end of the day well, that's still yet to be determined. And so last week we talked about the kind of canvas that you have. And I asked you, if you were here, to consider what shape is your canvas in. And I asked you to consider in different areas. For example, what about your faith? What shape is your canvas in? Is it all messy like, like, like my picture that I made? Is it, have you been trying to make things fit and they don't fit? And you've been, you know, giving maybe God a corner here or there, but you've not really given in the whole thing. Or perhaps you have just put everything in for a, a couple of weeks and said, God, you got two weeks, do something amazing or I'm done. And you've just kind of messed up their, the, the, your painting of faith. 
What about your family, your friends? There's lots of different places in your life. So I've asked you to really consider what your what shape your canvas is in. Today I want to talk to you about something else, and and uh, fortunately I'm giving up the uh, my paintbrush today, and uh, we're going to have somebody else come up. So Aaron, if you'd come up here, I want you all to welcome Aaron. Aaron's going to be painting for us today. Now, unlike me, come on up, take, take a bow. Y'all know Aaron. Aaron's one of our teenagers in, in our student ministry. And uh, I'm just going to let you kind of go to it. She's going to be painting throughout uh, the rest of the service. And uh, you, can, you can watch her, but listen to me as well. So just listen. Aaron, have at it and ignore all of them. All right? Just ignore. And, but don't ignore me. But you can ignore me to a degree. But ignore all of them and just, and I'm going to ask you to get to work. And some of you are thinking, well, what's the point of having someone up there painting? That will be made clear a bit later. But I'm very excited for her. Unlike me, who that was my first painting in, well, since I probably was in kindergarten, uh, Erin actually is a lover of art. And uh, she loves to paint and create. And so you will be able to see very quickly that she has a lot more ability than I do. So I'm very thankful to have her up here. And uh, what, I, what I want to do today is I want to go through a number of different things. Now, for some of you, I've got some OCD folks in the room. Um, and some of you are going to notice that as our slides scroll through this morning, they're a little off center. We, we had a, a projector malfunction. We've put a new projector up, but we couldn't get it dialed in. Now, here's my suggestion for those of you who have already noticed the words and the lines are not perfect. Yeah. If, so those of you who have already noticed that, you're like, that's bugging me. That's bugging me. That's bugging me. Richard's suggestion was just take off your left shoe and you'll be okay. But that only works when you're standing. So just kind of lean if you really are bothered by that. Hopefully we'll have that dialed in next week. The truth is life is often messy, right? Things don't always work out. If you are a part of journey, if you've been a part of journey for any amount of time, you have learned that things don't always work out the way we hope they would. Sometimes they do, but life can be messy. And as we begin to think about our lives of being art, sometimes that picture gets messy. Some of you in the room today, your picture is exactly the way you want it. You've laid it out. You've worked hard. You've really got it where you think you, it ought to be. For some of you, you're, you're not in that place. You're thinking, you know what? This picture is a mess. I don't know what I'm going to do here. I, it's, just, it's just an absolute mess. And yeah, I want to think my life can be a masterpiece. But at this point, I do not believe that. It is such a mess. It is so messed up. I really don't think it's possible. Now, there's one very easy question to ask on what's the difference between a piece of art and just a bunch of color on a canvas. And that question is, who is painting those strokes? Who are making the strokes on that picture? See, a canvas is neutral. A canvas in and of itself is not going to create great art. No one ever looked at a blank canvas and said, that is gorgeous. Well, somebody did. Now, I'll be fair that we, we were in D.C. We used to live in D.C. and we would go to the, the Smithsonian's and all those. And then we, were the, we went back to visit this last summer and I went to see some of those. And, and I, I truly believe in, in a museum somewhere there is a blank canvas. Somebody going, that is just beautiful. Do you see what that means? Do you see what's, what this says? It's just it's incredible. You know, there is somewhere. I mean, I'm going to go paint me a line. All I need is a roller and a straight black line and it is art. I'm going to sell it for a million bucks. You'll never see me again. I'll be on the beach somewhere. But truly, the canvas itself does not create a beautiful picture. It's neutral. Your canvas, your life, where you are now, as difficult as this may feel, it is neutral. 
Now, what can happen with a canvas is unlimited. And so the question I want to leave you with is, who is going to direct your strokes? Who is going to direct where the brush goes? What colors are used? What's going to happen in this painting? For some of you and you creative folks, I I mean, you sit down and you look at a blank canvas and you go, this is what I'm going to do. And then you sit down and do it. And it's incredible that you can do that. For others, they sit down and go, I don't know what I want to do. I'm just going to start. And then at the end of the day, that's what I I wanted to do, (laughs) apparently. And you just kind of work your way through till eventually you're there. And it's incredible. We all approach art differently. And I really believe, even for those of you in the room who are thinking, I don't get this whole creative thing, I want you to know that I believe in every single person in some way is built creativity. Every one of you has some level of creativity in you because you reflect the image of God. And one of the very first images of God we see is a God of creation. So you reflect him, you reflect creativity. Some of you are great with a brush. Some of you are great on a computer screen. Some of you are great with words. I mean, there are many ways to be creative. Others of you, you decorate your house and and we walk in and go, whoa, this is amazing. I decorate mine and you walk in and go, get them to come decorate your house. You know, there's all different ways to be creative. You You have within you the ability to create. We also have within us the ability to destroy. So my question for you today is, who directs your strokes? You know, in Sunday school, and, and I, I, we had, we, I grew up in Sunday school, and you know, a teacher would ask a question in Sunday school, and you never answered truthfully, right? You always answered what you knew the right answer was supposed to be, and we call those the Sunday school answers. So, so here's what I want to do. I want to get the elephant out of the room right now. Right now, you're expecting me to go, well, God should direct our strokes. Well, yeah, but there's a lot more to it. It's a lot more complicated, isn't it? To simply say, well, we just need to let God direct our strokes. That is completely a Sunday school answer. Because you know as well as I do, there's not a person alive who truly is hands off of their life. That they're letting God do every single stroke of their masterpiece. It's impossible. It's not going to happen. So today as we get started, I don't, I don't want you to go, oh, I know what he's going to say. I know what he's going to No, you don't know what I'm going to say. And you don't know where we're going to go with this yet. But still the question remains, who's going to direct your strokes? Another question would be, okay, so if, if the Sunday school answer is that God should, does God ever want me to direct the strokes of my life? Does God ever want me to do something? Do I have any uniqueness or individuality in this? Or do I just kind of sit back and I, I'm not really a part of this painting that he's doing and i would say this you absolutely have a role in how the picture turns out so as we go through this we're going to be looking at several proverbs today and be sharing several things with you but as we begin i want you to remember what we talked about last week we will make a mess of our own lives because we ourselves are short-sighted every one of us You're short-sighted, I'm short-sighted. Not a single one of us is able to comprehend the complexities of all that we'll deal with within life. If we read through Proverbs 19.3, it says, People ruin their lives by their own foolishness and then are angry at the Lord. I mean, that is so true. It's on half my Facebook wall right now. People who are mad at God for the choices they've made. 
We make a mess. First Corinthians 13, 11 describes it this way. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, thought like a child, reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly. That's the now. You're in the now. Now you see through a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know him fully, even as I have been fully known. There's a time coming where you will no longer be short-sighted if you're a follower of Jesus. However, that time is not here yet, as much as we may want it to be. As much as some of us think we really get the big picture. Truth is, every one of us is short-sighted when it comes to what God is doing in the world around us. Let me ask you this. What would happen in your life right now, at work, at home, your own, just how you feel about life in general? What would happen, or what would your life look like if you let a better artist take over? What would happen? For some of you, you'd be like, yeah, I'd do it. If there's someone else can do this better, come on, because I'm kind of tired of where I'm at. If somebody else can come and take the reins and kind of get me where I need to go for a while, I'm good with that. What would happen if a better artist could paint a better picture? Would you give them the opportunity to do that? Or is the ability to direct your own path so important that you would never be capable of giving that control to someone else? Now, for some of you, here's what I know. Some of you, you are very capable of this. In fact, you've lived your entire life handing your brush to whoever comes along that seems more confident. And you struggled because you've given your brush to some people that did not handle it well, and they have created a real mess of your canvas. So for some of you, the idea of giving your brush to someone else, it is very real. It is where you live. And perhaps the better question is, is there a better or capable artist to give your brush to. So could it be better? What could happen if a better artist created that picture? Would you be happy that someone else painted the picture, but you got to look back and it was better than you ever could have done yourself? It's a hard question every one of us will will, will answer every single day of our lives. Would you be able to do that? John 10, 10 says this, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came, Jesus came, that they may have life and have it abundantly. As we talked about last week, truly the enemy is in control of this world. And because he's in control of this world, he often controls our perspective. And because our perspective is what often guides our steps, the enemy often controls our steps because we let our perspective be ruled by him. And the way that works out is we let everybody else, that whatever they're doing, that's what I'm going to do. Whatever they say I should be about, that's what I'm going to be about. Whatever is, is cool for them is going to be cool for me, even though I'm, I really know that's not the right thing to do. See, the enemy is in control of this world, and if we allow ourselves to just look at life through our eyes, we will allow him to win in our lives. Because we're short-sighted. We can't see as things really are. There are supernatural powers going on all around us that you and I, we honestly cannot see the gravity of what is happening in our lives. There's only one artist that is able to do that. There's only one artist that can truly look back, peel back the layer, and see the picture that is forming. Would it be better to give them the opportunity to do that? The thief is here to steal, kill, and destroy 
But there is an artist that is here to build, to create, to do something incredible. Now, if we do go with the Sunday school answer, it's a true answer. Who should direct the strokes of our lives? It should be God. God created us. God created all of this. God sees all of this. God has a plan not just for our short little lives, but for all eternity. God certainly is capable and has demonstrated he is not a God who just sits in the corner, but he is a God who wants to be actively engaged not only in the world, but in your life. God has demonstrated that over and over and over again. He has demonstrated he wants to be involved. So how do we do this? If we're to say, okay, I get it. We can give somebody else better control who's better capable of doing this thing. I'll totally give it to them. So how do we do that, right? How's that possible? It's a good idea, but I still have to go home and I still have to live my life. I have to make decisions tomorrow. I've got to get up, go to work, and I've still got a lot of things on my plate. So how do we practically let God take over? Because it, it sometimes can feel like I'm just supposed to sit in my recliner and just watch. And yet you have learned very quickly that that's not how life works. One of the very difficult things learning that you learn growing up is how to deal with other people because you will try lots of different ways and people are really hard to predict how they'll respond. So you still have to go to school tomorrow. You still have to go to work tomorrow. And just because we had this awesome sermon today, well, I mean, I hope it will be. At least we'll have an awesome, awesome painting here in a minute. And even though you heard this sermon that said God can paint a masterpiece of your life, that coworker you work with that is a real jerk is still going to be there tomorrow and you still have to deal with them. So how does this practically work within our lives? How does this practically work? Well, I would like to give you an ABC and you're done. There's not an ABC and you're done in anything in all creation. It doesn't exist. But I can, we can find places in Scripture that point to how do we give control to someone better capable of handling this. So if you want to let God paint the picture of your life, this is what it's going to require. Number one, it's going to require faith. It has to start with faith. Now, it's not just the general concept of faith. If you've ever been in any kind of philosophy class, you'll understand that faith exists in many different ways, not just in how we view it in religious places, but you have certain faith when you sit in a chair. You all had faith when you sat down, your chairs would hold you up, even though there are some in this room that would love to have sawed a leg off somewhere while you were standing, so when you sat down, it didn't hold you up. When you get on a plane, you have faith, it's going to get you there. I mean, there, so there's different levels of faith. We don't necessarily have to take all of eternity or our eternal place when we die. We don't have to take that into account to discuss what faith is. But when we talk about matters of giving God control of our lives, it is totally about faith to the very deepest detail. Because as many times as we hope that God shows up in a service, we've never had this glowing ball of light just, you know, show up on stage and then you hear an audible voice come out. If, if those kinds of things happen, maybe it would be easier, but then that wouldn't be faith. Then that would just be, I saw it. It happened. So now, and yet God works by faith. We have to have faith. The truth is it takes faith to let someone else paint your picture. It takes faith for Aaron to come up here. I don't know what she's painting over here. Keep going. You're doing good. It's a lot of blue. You know, Hey, there's a movie called Waterworld. Is this about Waterworld? No, okay. See, Erin gives me a hard time every time I see her. I've got her in a little bit of an awkward situation. I, I'm going to pay her a little bit, pay her back a little bit throughout this next little while. All right? 
retribution. Well, retribution is not really the right word, but yeah, I guess I could be. Maybe I should. I'll, I'll behave. I'll behave. Keep going. You're doing good. It takes faith to let somebody else paint your picture. Now, as I mentioned, some of you, you give the brush to whoever comes by and feels more confident than you. They tell you what to do. You go do it. It doesn't always work out well. It does take faith, whether, whether you give it to somebody who's worthy of it or you give it to somebody who's not. It takes faith to let somebody else take control. And what I know about every individual on the face of the planet is none of us likes to give up control. It's hardwired in us to be in control of our own lives. Some of you are raising your kids to be control their destinies. And what you'll find is that you can't control their destinies. And the way you'll learn that is you'll take an honest self-assessment of your own life. You couldn't control your destiny. They're not going to control theirs either. We can't be in absolute control, but it takes faith to let somebody else have some control. It takes faith to believe that, that God is real, that he does exist, even though we live in a world that says he doesn't, that it's a construct for weak, feeble minds. That's what the world says. It takes faith to believe God is real. He did create this. And even though we find all these evidences within science to say, man, there's just more to this story than the fact that these things randomly happened, we still have a world saying God is for feeble-minded people. Sometimes we buy into that and we totally jump in and say science isn't real. And that's not really worked well for us because God created science. It will point back to him eventually. But it takes faith to believe that God's real. You can't invite him to dinner. I mean, you can, but he's not going to show up like I would. It takes faith to believe that God really knows what's best for you. It truly takes faith to believe God knows what's best. Because let's be honest, we'll never say this in a church setting, but let's be honest, at our core, we usually only really want God to do what God says when we agree with him. If we don't agree, then we're like, hey, well, you know, that's really open to interpretation, and I just, I'm going to claim grace and mercy on this one. We often only want to follow the teachings of God if we agree with them, which belies the idea that it's a teaching that we need to learn. It takes faith to do that. It truly takes faith to trust that God knows best. For some of you, you're going through a difficult time in life. And yes, you truly struggle with the fact that God is real and he wants to do something amazing in your life. Because right now, my life's a mess. I, I found this poem by Helen Steiner Rice. It's a great poem. And I want you to just to listen to some unexpected words of what it means to be blessed. Some unexpected words of trusting in God, especially when you're going through hard times. It says this, our father knows what's best for us. So why should we complain? We always want the sunshine, but he knows there must be rain. We love the sound of laughter and the merriment of cheer, but our hearts would lose their tenderness if we never shed a tear. Our father tests us often with suffering and with sorrow. He tests us not to punish us, but to help us meet tomorrow. For growing trees are strengthened when they withstand the storm, and the sharp cut of a chisel gives the marble grace and form. God never hurts us needlessly, and he never wastes our pain. For every loss he sends to us is followed by rich gain. And when we count the blessings that God has so freely sent, we will find no cause for murmuring and no time to lament. For our father loves his children and to him all things are plain. So he never sends us pleasure when the soul's deep need is pain. Souls, wow. 
So whenever we are troubled and when everything goes wrong, it is just God working in us to make our spirit strong. And that is strong stuff. That is strong, strong stuff. He never sends us pleasure when the soul's deep need is pain. And yet for many who teach God's word will tell you that when God moves, it's always through pleasure. And yet it doesn't take anybody very long to, to, to realize that no matter how much you give your heart to God, there is pain involved. What if even God knows best in your pain and heartache? See, that takes faith. It doesn't take faith to trust ourselves. That's just gets it hardwired in us. It takes faith to trust that God not only exists, but that God wants to do things that are good, things that make a difference in our life. Proverbs 16, 9 says this, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. You know what that means? It means we go around planning what our lives are going to be like, but God is still at work no matter how well we plan. God is still active no matter how well we plan. God is still moving pieces no matter how much our plan requires pieces stay in the same place. God is the one who still controls the universe, not us. No matter how much we want to, no matter how much we think we should. Do you know what else it takes faith for, especially in these situations? It takes faith to believe that God's intentions for your life are good even when he allows things that are bad. That takes faith. It's not enough just to say God exists. It's not enough just to say, you know, this chair will hold me up. It takes faith in the midst of pain to say God wants what's best for me. Now, when we give our brush to somebody else that all they care about is themselves, we cannot have that same faith that their intentions for us are good. Only God is able to do that. Sometimes I give my brush to people that honestly care about me. Sometimes I give it to my wife. Sometimes I, I might give my brush to my kids from time to time. And they truly love me. They truly care about me. And they would not hurt me. However, they are just like me. They are fallible. There's only one that is capable of doing that. God is still at work. We can work with him or we can work against him, but his intentions for us are good. So if you want to practically give God the brush, you have to have faith. The second thing you have to have, and this is where it gets tough, is a humility to submit. Do you remember how that feels? When I grew up, my parents did not let me do whatever I wanted as much as I believed that was their job. They were supposed to finance it and drive me there. I'm supposed to be able to do whatever I want. My parents taught me very early, that's not the way the world works. And I have found that to be true at every stage of my life. That is not the way it works. There is some level that you are going to have to submit. Now, some of you, you really struggle with submission. So you, you'll go out and start a, start a new business so you don't have to submit to a boss. Because you had a bad boss at some, some time. Some of you really struggle with submitting to your parents, right? Nobody here does. Everybody submits to their parents here, right? Oh, maybe not. 
And some of us as parents, sometimes we struggle with knowing how to deal with kids that don't want to submit because we look back at our own lives and realize we didn't want to submit either. We still don't. As we look at what's going on in the world through, through all of these crazy instances where people are being confronted with police and they're fighting back and they're getting shot and then they say it's the police's fault that they got shot. Because they don't want to submit. I don't want to submit. You don't want to submit. When we don't submit, there are always negative consequences unless we're submitting to the wrong thing and then the consequences are even worse. But if we're going to give God control, we have to have the humility to submit. Submission requires humility. It requires the willingness to say, it's not my will. The greatest example of that is Jesus. Over and over again, says, I'm not here for myself. I'm not here to be served. I'm not here to have my will done. I'm here for the Father. Over and over and over he said that. And yet we still think that somehow to follow Jesus means we get to do things our way. To give God the brush is we have to have the humility to submit. Now, what does that look like practically? Romans 8, 12, one of my, my favorite places in Scripture says this. So then, brothers, we are debtors. Not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Now, that is the analogy for the way you and I live just naturally. How we're going to do it if we have no intervention at all, if we don't change our thinking in any way whatsoever, if there is no real experience with God, this is the way we're going to live. But it says, we are debtors not to flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit... You put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You see, the way that you submit is you allow the Spirit to work in your life. Now, sometimes we want to think about the work of the Spirit in the context of, I get saved, I get the Spirit, I'm good. But that's not exactly how Paul portrays it here in Romans. Instead, he said, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You see, you can't say, for all who are sons of God are led by the Spirit. Instead, what you find is, as you submit and allow God to take over, you are a son of God. Which is why we can attend church and not know Christ. Because we don't let the Spirit take over our lives. Instead, we want to be in control. Not only... Do we have to have this humility to submit, to let God take over, to let the Spirit be active in our lives? You also have to have at some level, you have to have vision. I don't mean the kind of vision that says, dream about the biggest house, the biggest car, the biggest this, the biggest, biggest, baddest, whatever. Often when we talk about vision, it, it, is, it is the smallest level of vision possible to have more stuff. Sometimes even in the church we do that. I have a great vision for a great place to hold worship services. That is the smallest level of vision you can have. 
True vision is the ability to see as God sees, to be able to have the perspective that God has, to see what God wants to do in your life, wants to do not just in your life, but the lives of the people around you, and then what God wants to do in the world. That is what vision is. You have to have some level of vision to see a glimpse of what could be, even if you don't know how to get there. To give God the brush is to have some vision of something better than what is. There's no vision to need. You don't have to have vision for what is. You need to have vision for what will be. Jeremiah 29, 11, This was a promise at one point in the life of Israel. And it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. You not only have to have vision, there has to be some level of wisdom within you. Proverbs 28, 26 says, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. I mean, it doesn't get more plain than that. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. Well, what kind of wisdom do we need? Does that mean we need to have book smarts? Wisdom is not book smarts. It's not the ability to be educated. Wisdom is the ability to know things that only God can tell you and then to be able to practice them in a practical way in your life. You've got to have some level of wisdom. Here's what I know. There are times that I'm really good at letting God kind of, kind of paint the picture. Anybody else? There are days that, I mean, I am on point. I mean, it's like, you know, come on, Satan. Let's do it. I'm good. I am doing it God's way. I feel good. Problem is, those days are often interrupted, aren't they? I get a phone call. get an email. I get something that makes me mad. All of a sudden, I'm starting to look at things a little bit differently. Somebody did something to somebody I care about, and, and I, you know, I'm ready to step outside of, okay, God, I've been giving this to you up to now. But come on, I've, you know, you're, if you're not, not going to deal with this, I am. Right? We often find those places in our life but we give God control. And then sometimes we want it back. Here's another thing that you're going to need. And, and for some of you who are going, okay, I got all these big, you know, big picture stuff. Okay, let's get to the meat stuff. Well, I'm going to get to that in just a minute. However, what you also have to have to let God control the brush is you have to have practice. You have to have practice. There's not a person alive that got it just like that. Not a person alive who said, you know what? I no longer struggle with doing what God wants. I no longer struggle with following his teachings. I know I just, I decided today I'm going to do it. And then I've done it ever since. There's not a single person alive who ever did that. Some people think, well, Paul had this amazing experience. And yet he's the same guy that says, man, I don't do the things that I want to do. And I do the things I don't want to do. I'm so messed up. And this is when he saw Jesus, and Jesus had already died and gone to heaven. I mean, that's a pretty significant event. There's not a person alive that just all of a sudden, man, I'm good. I'm really excited that our, our teenagers are going to be going to North Greenville College for, or University. It was North Greenville College when I was a kid. That's where I went to Centrifuge growing up. So it's been there for a long time. It's hard to believe they've been around that long. But it's been going on for a long time. It's a place where I truly, within my heart, know 
I asked Jesus to be my Savior. I was very excited about it. Why one of the reasons I love Centrifuge. Although I had said I had done that in other places in my life, that was a pivotal moment where I said, okay, God, here's the reins. I mean, I don't know how to do this. I'll just kind of go as I, I think I'm supposed to, and I'll try to learn some more and, and do better along the way. But it was a moment that I finally said, God, I can't, I can't keep doing it this way. And while I've had good and bad times in life, and while there have been times I've been right on point with doing what, what I think God would want, there have been other times where I have been so far out in the left field, it's not even funny. But that was a moment for me to say, God, I mean, this is going to be a bumpy road, but listen, I'm in if, you're, if you'll have me. And so that was a pivotal point for me. So I'm excited for you guys. It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's going to be great. But you've got to have practice. I've got to track my youth leader gave me a track that the next morning. And uh, I was so thankful for this track because it had a little stair step. I've used this analogy in the past. I had a little stair step on the back. And it kind of had these steps you're supposed to do as you grow. And, you know, most people, they get scared to death to become a Christian because then they think that the church is going to unleash them to go knock on doors and ask people if they're going to hell or not. You know, and I, I was like, I don't, I'm not doing that. I don't want to do that. I remember on the stair step thing, one of the very first things was, you know, repent. Well, I can do that. I have screwed up. I am ready to give him control. Got no problem. I'm happy to repent. But I remember the last step was like, share your faith with somebody else. I was like, thank you, Jesus. Let's just work our way up there. (laughs) It'll be a while. Let me just work my way there. But one thing it did teach me was whether or not the stair step analogy is perfectly accurate, it's not. But it instilled in me the idea that I can keep moving and I can make a mistake and I can keep going even though I make a mistake. It also built into me that I have to practice this for the rest of my life. They say practice makes perfect. Well, it doesn't. Practice does make better, but it doesn't make perfect. But I knew I have to practice We read in 1 Corinthians 9, this is where Paul talks about his need to practice. It says, don't you realize in a race, everyone runs, only one person gets the prize, so run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to be what it should, otherwise... I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. In other words, my biggest fear is all this stuff I'm talking about. I'm going to miss it myself. So I'm going to practice this so I don't miss it. That gives me hope. Because I have to practice. Some days I'm better than others. As I look through the periods of my life, I have definitely made a forward motion progress. And I am glad that for whatever remaining days I have on this earth, as I continue to follow him, I will keep making forward progress. If I believed becoming a Christian meant I had to be perfect right off the bat, I never would have made it. We practice. We keep going. Now, Aaron has done a great job here. You look like you're creating a nice beach. Who would anybody like to go to the beach? I would like to go to the beach. Um, she's using her hands now. That's just freaky. You're painting with your fingers. Look at that. I would never do that because my OCD would take over and my hands would be messy. 
Now, it looks like Erin's creating this nice beach picture. She's got some more sky to fill in there. We've got some birds and things like that. Now, here, here's what often happens in our lives. Often what happens is we give God a portion, a piece, or even a period of time to do some amazing things. And we let him go to work. And we're like, yeah, I'll let God paint my picture. Man, I'm looking at your picture and it, you're not. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> but he painted mine. And then something goes wrong or maybe God doesn't take me where I want to go. God, the beach is cool, but, you know, what I really want to do is, so I want to, here's what we're going to do, right? Anybody, does anybody do this? Here's what we're going to do. God, I've given you some time, but I, I want to take a, take a turn. I, I want to know where I want to go, right? So that's cool, but look, hey, look at this. That's cool. These are my brushes. A dollar at Walmart. These are my brushes. That's very cool. But, but see, I'm going to take over here. And you know what? That's really cool. But what I want is, I, this is what I want. My job. My house. I hope you don't mind. This was very nice. Yeah, that's what I wanted. You're welcome. And so I take the brush back. Right? And I paint my own stuff. Now, somewhere along the way, not, not when I took the brush, I wasn't thinking this, but somewhere along the way, I thought, this is a good idea, God, and you're just kind of slow to, on the uptake. But isn't it only later that we go, I kind of screwed up the picture. Isn't it only later that we go, God, okay, let's do this. Big mistake. How about I will just uh, let you erase that and start over? How does that work out? Is that working for anybody? Is there anybody here that can honestly remember something they've forgotten? I don't know. That's a silly question. But honestly, you know where I'm going with this. Because once we've made the mistake, it goes with us, doesn't it? So this is where the analogy breaks down, doesn't it? I'm going to let God paint the picture. This is where the analogy breaks down because for us, when we take over and we will take over, we screw up the picture. And we think a couple of different possibilities. One is God is mad at me for taking over. He's done with me. There's a lot of people to believe that. And there's a lot of religious people that will tell you that. God's done. You screwed up. You're out. And I don't mean that you made a little mess. I mean, you made a big mess. I mean, you decided I wanted to have another relationship with somebody outside of my spouse. And you made a mess. And you're thinking, oh, oh, God, please, would you just, can I go back in time and take that back? You were at work and you knew if I do this, I can really get this person that really gets on my nerves. But if anybody finds out I'm in trouble and you do it. And whether they find out or not, you know I've screwed up and I took the brush and I've messed it up. Now, there are, it is very true that as we give God the brush of our lives, we're going to take it back. It's going to happen. It's going to happen a lot because we're fallible people. Remember, we see through a mirror dimly lit. One day we're going to see clearly but that day's not today. And so we're consistently going to struggle with the same problem. God quit. I don't want to say Aaron's God, but she's representing God today. Don't let it go to your head, Aaron. 
So this is what I want to end with today. How do you practically let God control your brush? I've given you some kind of big stuff, right? Big idea stuff. And, and some of this stuff will be much more practical, and some of it still is going to be something you're going to have to work through. But, but here are some of the basics. How do you practically let God have control of the brush? And, and the number one thing is this. You have to be willing to change. You have to be willing to change. If you're not willing to change, you know, there's a lot of people that are praying for God to change something, but they'll never change themselves. If you're not willing to change, you'll never experience what God can do with your brush because you're not going to actually ever give it to him because you're not willing to change. Now, in my picture, can I grab my picture here for a second? In my picture, what we did last week was, and this is for people who don't want to change, what, what, what we did last week is we, we kind of messed up our picture and then we give God these corners, right? That's because I'm not really willing to change. Instead, I, I hear God work in these corners and then I ask, why haven't you made a better picture? Because I've only given you a few corners because I really don't want to change. If you're not willing to change, you're never truly going to be able to give God the brush. You have to be willing. If you're not willing to, to in any way repent for sins, God will never be in control of your brush. Do you know what repentance means? It means to change. And yet we have misunderstood mercy and grace to say, God will be okay with it even if I don't want to change. No, repentance means I, there's actually a change in me. There's a change in the way I see it, the change in the way I'm going to act, a change in the way I'm going to do things. To change. You have to be willing to change. And if you hold so deeply into what you want your life to be, you'll never get there. You have to be willing to change. One of the things that I love is there are times that I have made some huge mistakes in my life. And God could say, Mark, I'm done. You're out. You're done. Now, based on what I do as a living, there are mistakes I could make as a pastor that could mean God say, you know what? Let's pull you out of that role. There are some, some things like that that God could truly cause to change. Here's what I'm thankful for. On those days that I take it back and screw up the picture... God doesn't abandon me. God works it in, right? God works it in. Some of you are sitting here today and you've got such terrible history that you're thinking, man, I'm done. And yet God wants to work it into his masterpiece. When I sit down with someone, they're like, this is, you know, you don't know what I've done and this is horrible. I don't want, I don't want anybody to know. What if God wants to use what you have done and redeem it so you can help somebody else who's in the exact same spot you're in right now. What if God wants to work it in? See, a great painter can do that. Me, you mess with it and I'm, I'm lost. But God can work it in. I don't care what it is. God can work it in. Psalm 119, 133 says, Guide my steps by your word so that I will not be overcome by evil. The idea that God guides us. It's the point in your life when you're willing to say, change me. Second thing is this. We have to commit. This is, this is kind of fun, right? Commit to submit to a greater God than you. 
Because within our hearts, we all want to be the center of our universe. In other words, we want to be God. We have to commit to submit to a greater God than us. We have to commit to submitting to him and his teachings to where he wants to go. We have to begin to see life not as me, but as we. Not just we as in a community, but we as me and God. It's no longer just Mark. It's now Mark and God. Begin to see your life as a we proposition. Which is why one of the great things about being a follower of Jesus is you never truly feel alone. Even if you feel alone by worldly standards, you know you're never truly alone because Jesus is there. You commit to a we instead of a me. But it's also why your community of faith is so crucial to help you along the way. You also have to learn to see God at work. Learn to see God at work. It means adjusting your perspective. It means spending time with God. It means spending time in his word. And it means adjusting our values for his values. That's how we see as God sees. We change to his way of thinking. Now, you're thinking that's ridiculous. It's hard. Yes, it is. But let me tell you this. That's what the Holy Spirit is for. A spirit that walks with us, that's what he does for us. And finally, you have to celebrate what God is doing. Even if it seems painful or confusing, celebrate that God is at work. Remember, some of the most painful things we don't truly understand. For you that are sitting in the room saying, I'm trying to give God control, but I can't see it. I'm trying to follow his word, but I don't, I don't feel it. I'm trying to do what he wants, but I'm just still not sure. I'm just not sure about all this because I can't see the picture that he's painting. I'm just so confused by these strokes that he's making. He's just taken my job away. He's just brought illness into our family. He's just made me lose something that was precious to me. I can't see the picture. But what if it's still a masterpiece, even if you can't understand it yet? I want to show you a real quick video. Watch this.
Y'all know who that is? Bruce Lee? Oh, there's got to be a certain age to know who that was. Bruce Lee. Some of you may have seen that video. Maybe you saw that coming. I didn't see it coming the first time I saw it. Even if you don't fully understand the picture God is painting, what if he does? And what if you just need to continue to trust and give him that control? God is still at work. Celebrate what he's doing within your life. Finally, as you want to begin letting God take over your life, one of the ways you do that is you begin to open your eyes to the lives of other people around you. You're focused only on your life. You're going to struggle with this. When you begin to open it up and you look out beyond you, what you find is that God is at work in the lives of other people. One of the ways we give him the brush when we begin to see things his way is we begin to look for him being active in the lives of other people. He helps you to see a bigger picture that he's painting than just on your life. And you believe deeply within your heart that the picture of your life is the only thing God is concerned about. That's called sin. It's about me. All about me. What you're going to find is that God's painting on many canvases other than just yours. Some of what you're doing is affecting other people's canvases. Some of what he's doing in their lives is affecting your canvas. Trust that God has this. Give him that control. I want to leave you with this simple idea that I'm going to require you to go home and figure this out, to work it out. There are many different ways to do this. The Spirit moves us in the direction God wants us to go if we let him. But this one I'm going to leave you with. Will you commit to submit your life to the master artist? It's a commitment and it requires submission. Commit to submit to the master artist. Now, it's like Aaron's about to finish up here. Can y'all give Aaron a big hand for coming up here and doing this? I'm going to tell you something. When I was Aaron's age, there's nowhere, no way in a million years I would have done this. So, Aaron, thank you for being willing. You can just finish up and keep going as you go. I, I want to leave you with just one idea, and this is where we're going next week. I want to leave you with the idea that some of you, no matter what I say, are still consumed with the idea that your canvas is not what it should be. Some of you are thinking, Mark, I get it, and you're talking about all these mistakes you make, but you don't get it. And I'm, I'm royally messed up. So here's what we want to do next week. If this is the canvas that we paint, if this is the one that we take control of our lives, what happens if it's really bad? What happens if your canvas isn't just got another picture on it? Because as we talked about, you know, there are many great works of art that actually have been painted over other works of art. They didn't like it. They painted it over. You're thinking, I, I would be cool and God could totally repaint mine. But, but what happens when my canvas is ripped? What happens when my mistake feels so overwhelming? What happens when I feel like my life just, there's no hope. There's nowhere I can go. I mean, what can God really do with this? What happens? Is this where your life is? Next week, we're going to do some intensive care on some ripped canvases. And we're going to actually do some really cool stuff. However, uh, it's not, it, it may not be with paint. So I hope you'll come back and you'll figure out what that is. For now, if that's where you live, we're going to 
We're going to talk about that next week. But here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to consider, am I willing to commit to submit my life to a better painter? And if you will, let the Spirit begin to move you in what ways it's time to make that change. Because if you do, it will be worth it. Would you pray with me? Father, God, we thank you for all the incredible ways that you are involved in our lives. I thank you that even when we take back over, you are willing to work that in to a bigger picture. Lord, I pray that in this next week, you will help us to understand how do we truly follow you? How do we truly give you the opportunity to have control? Even though submission is so hard for us, it's something that is so unnatural for us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to submit to your way of living our lives. God, I thank you for all those in this room that demonstrate what it means to let you be at work in their lives and how it affects us all. I thank you for those who are willing to not only be changed, but to model change for us so that we can be changed ourselves. And God, I pray for those in the room that feel that their canvas is an absolute wreck. It's just too far gone. God, I pray that you would give them the hope that nothing is beyond your masterful hand. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.